Well, how would you feel if an eight-year-old was the president of the United States? Depending on your views of the country right now, you might not think that a bad idea, but those of you with eight-year-olds probably think that's the most ridiculous idea that anyone has ever come up with. I personally think that there's a lot that we could benefit from in having a kid run the country. The first being possibly more national holidays based around candy and ice cream, possibly getting free amounts of that. Um, Thankfully, though, we have certain rules put into place in order to keep children out of the responsibility of the White House, because imagine what the outcome would be. Like, I'm barely brave enough to let my four-year-old dictate choices for herself. I can only imagine what would happen if she were allowed to make decisions of consequence. And when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to be a supervisor for a summer rec program, and I was able to learn what it actually took to be a leader. I wasn't in charge of the United States, but I did have command over my own army of about 200 kindergarten to second graders. So you would say that I had some power, um, and I, I learned things about what it takes to be a leader, things like how to have people respect your decisions, what, what making correct decisions actually looked like, how to be successful, how to get the outcome that was desired of you. And, I, and all of this happened uh, while I was working outside of ministry. And currently, I've only been in a leadership position here at the church for a couple of years. And some of you are scared to know that I'm still in a position of leadership, but stay with me if you will. While leading in ministry, I've learned pretty quickly that success can often be measured very differently. And what I've come to learn is actually going to be our big idea for today, and it's this, that true leadership isn't about outcome, it's about obedience. True leadership isn't about outcome, it's about obedience. If you're new here, my name is Brendan Anderson. I am the youth pastor here at Element. You might not be here and still not know who I am. That's because they keep me locked away with the youth most of the time. Um, And while I know there's literally no way for an eight-year-old to become the president, today we are looking at someone thrown into extreme responsibility at a very young age. Not only that, but someone who was given probably the worst handoff I've ever seen in leadership, and yet had this written about them at the end of their reign. And we find this in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25 says this, never before had there been a king, and I added the parentheses, or a leader, like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying the laws of Moses. And there's never been a king or leader like him since. Josiah was one of the best kings that Judah had ever had. His leadership put the people back on track to the ways of God. But a mere 20 years after his death, the entire nation was taken captive by the Babylonians. And I got confused while reading the history of Judah and Jerusalem, because how could a king who had such incredible leadership have his entire country captured 20 years after his death. Like, why doesn't the story continue into Judah becoming this incredible nation? Why doesn't the outcome fit what the leader was for them? Where was the disconnect? Well, it's in our big idea that true leadership isn't about outcome. It's about obedience. And if that's true, I think we need to ask this big question today. How can I lead in a way that's obedient to God? How can I lead in a way 
that's obedient to God. The main scripture is 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 through 33. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Chronicles now. If you forgot your Bible, you can always follow along on the screen or on the YouVersion app on your phone. And if you don't have a Bible today, we would love to give you one. Our gift to you. Think of it as a Black Friday deal. It's free of charge just for showing up. It's a doorbuster, guys. But if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give it to you. Stop by guest services out in the lobby, and they'd love to give you a Bible of your own. We are going to pick it up right in verse 1 of chapter 34. It says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor, David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, so not eight years old, he's now 16 years old, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. Then in the 12th year, he's now 20 years old, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines and the Asherah poles and the carved idols and cast images. True leadership isn't about outcome. It's about obedience. So how can I lead in a way that's obedient to God? Number one, the first one is this. I have to seek God. I have to seek God. And I I feel like I might have already lost some of you in the room who are not Christians or those of you who don't work in a ministry set place. And please stay with me for just a second. I think that you can be a great leader without God. I, I believe that. You can be successful, you can be influential, you can be all those things with ever seeking God. But I'm not talking about being a great or successful or or influential leader today. Today, I'm talking about being a leader who pleases God. And when we look at leaders, like we wanna see all of those ideal leader qualities checked off, right? We want the success, we want the influence, we all want great hair, which is why nobody looks at the element staff when they're looking at leadership. It's not our fault. (laughs) But you see, God doesn't look at any of that. In fact, when God chose a young David, the second king of Israel, as the next ruler, he told Samuel, who was the guy choosing him in 1 Samuel, he says that the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see him, that people judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you're here today and you're not sure about this Christianity Thing. Maybe you're just checking it out. Maybe you just want to see if church is any different from when you grew up. Maybe you got dragged here. Maybe you just like the people and the music. I just want you to know that I'm so happy that you're here and know that there is nothing today that I am requiring of you, nothing that you have to do, that you don't have to believe a single thing that I say up here on stage in order to feel welcomed and loved here at Element. All that I ask is that maybe you laugh at some of my jokes and that you might give consideration to trying a couple of the things that I suggest. And mostly, I would love for you to continue coming back here to church, especially next week when we kick off our Christmas series, because trust me, whether you're a Christian or not, I promise you that that is going to relate to your life. And if you don't work in ministry, which I know most of you do not, you work in the secular workplace, you're not exempt from any of these things if you're a Christian. I want you to know, regardless of your set place, God still has a plan for you in that, a plan of leadership that he wants you to step in that. So all that being said, if you decide to try any of the things that I say to you today, I can't promise you it'll make you appear a better leader, but I do promise you that God will delight in the leader that you become. 
So we're gonna look at what King Josiah did. He, he sought God. And because of verse two, where it says he followed the example of his ancestor, David, I believe we can actually look specifically at how Josiah sought God. It's four ways, ways that we see are evident in King David's life as well. The first one would be this, a devotion to the word. King David is actually named the author of 76 out of the 150 Psalms that we find in the Bible. That's absolutely incredible. That's not counting the ones that are unnamed that could have possibly been David, but we just don't have the evidence of that. And while devotion to the word of God looked differently for the people in the Old Testament, like they didn't actually have, you know, machines and Bibles and all these things that they could actually read every single day, David desired that relationship and heart with the Father. And we see this in all of, the psalm, all of the Psalms that he wrote that eventually became the text that we look to today. As king, he would have also been required to have a copy of the Torah, the law with him as well. And he'd be required to read it every single day, the rules of the king, what he was supposed to be doing for his nation. The second way that we see King David seek God was in prayer. Not only are the Psalms written by David placed in the word of God, but they're all incredible prayers to God as well. David was in constant communication with God as he prayed and wrote to him. And whether that was in good times, and these were prayers of thankfulness, prayers of thanksgiving, or terrible times, when he desperately desired God to be on his side, when he desperately needed God to be fighting on his behalf, he was seeking him in prayer. The third way that I see is in fasting. And this is actually found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We see David's repentance over the sin that he had committed in his life, the entire situation that went on between him and Bathsheba. And then him fasting for seven days while his son laid sick. See, fasting, it's kind of a lost art to the modern day Christian, but it's found all throughout scripture as a spiritual discipline. It looked different from case to case, but they all came down to the core of getting closer to God. We, we would deny something in our lives to seek God more holy. And, and nowadays we see this most prominently during the season of Lent before Easter, right? Like typically you either stop eating meat or I chose to get rid of sugar on this last year and it was terrible, I almost died. Um, <laughs> never again, I've never been closer to God on that need of just, whew. But you see, fasting was a regular practice for King David as he sought to get closer to God. And the last way that I see was in worship. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see the unabashed worship of King David as he sings and dances before the Lord. And I think today we hold back in worship, unfortunately. I don't know what it is if we've become too self-conscious or are too worried about what other people are going to think. And the reason I know this is because we just started having worship again in Fusion. And it is absolutely incredible worship. The, the students that are on the team, the, the leaders that I have leading it are doing a phenomenal job bringing worship into, into our youth ministry but what I don't see is the kids really wanting to engage at all. There's no clapping. There's no hand raising. And I don't know what it is. I'm sure there's a few different reasons for that. But I think a lot of it has to do with them being so hyper aware that their friends and people they don't know around them can see them. 
I think we've become so concerned with how we're perceived that we've given up the shameless love that we're supposed to have during worship. We tend to be fine looking like absolute fools in front of anyone else if it means showing love to somebody. Like, I'll act a fool if it's so my wife knows that I love her. I don't care who else sees how much I love my wife, and I don't understand why we've lost that same desire with God. That being said, these are the four ways that I believe as leaders, we have to be seeking God if we want our leadership to be obedient to him. And then real quickly, just my youth in the room. I know there's some of you out there. I can see you. You're looking down at Snapchat. (laughs) I want you to know that Josiah was 16 when he started seeking God. 16. Meaning you are not too young. You don't have to wait until you're older, till you have that job or in a position of leadership. You don't even have to know what you're going to do with your life. Most of us don't know anyway. Before you start seeking God through these disciplines, I believe that God is so desperate for young people to just make a wholehearted commitment to him that no matter what is going on around you, no matter what you have to deal with in this world, that your focus is going to be on him. And what your generation is dealing with, what you guys are going through, what the decisions you have to make, what you're being exposed to, it's so much more difficult and so much more vast than what we ever dealt with adults, what we ever dealt with when we grew up at the same age. And that's why I think it's so much more important for you to be doing these things now so that you can be so much more prepared for what you're going to be doing in the future. Adults. Hi. Welcome. The youth of this generation absolutely need us to model for them the leadership that God desires in our lives. I don't know what this looks like for each of you specifically. I don't know where you struggle on this spectrum, if you struggle on this spectrum. I know I do. But whether that is doing a weekly Bible study with your kids, whether that's getting together with some of the families that you're friends with that also have kids the same age or something like that, and you all get together and kind of share the responsibilities of a Bible study. I don't know if it's having specific times that you pray for people in your guys' lives, pray for the youth in this next generation. Maybe it's setting up and demonstrating what actual, the spiritual discipline of fasting looks like. It doesn't have to be on a daily basis or a weekly basis, but maybe you set up monthly what it looks like for you guys to fast as a family or just fast and show that off as you are leading your family. Or maybe it's just raising your hand in worship so that they can see how important it is to have that unabashed love for God. I don't know what it is. It could possibly be being involved in youth ministry or children's ministry so that you can do all four of these things at once to kids that you may never have contact with otherwise. But I'm telling you, they need us. This generation needs better leaders. We have a responsibility, not just to the outcomes of the future, but specifically to our obedience of today. So King Josiah, Okay, back to him. Sorry. Sorry about those rants, guys. (laughs) King Josiah sought God in these four ways. And And from that, I believe he began seeing what was wrong with his country. So in his 18th year, he would have been 26 at the time. He had purged the land of idols and decided they should rebuild the temple. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 11 of our passage says this. 
They hired carpenters and builders who purchased finished stone for the walls and timber for the rafters and beams. They restored what earlier kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. Quick side note for you guys, this is huge. The fact that the previous generations of the kings had let things fall into ruin. I'm not blaming anyone, but I think this is all too often. And today, none of us have literal temples. I don't think none of you own a temple um, if you do talk to me. Um, <laughs> None of us have a literal temple that we need to have restored, but maybe your marriage has fallen into ruin. Maybe it's just a relationship in general. Maybe you feel like your job is in ruins. Maybe it's your family and it just feels like it's in ruin right now. I don't know what it is, but someone needs to hear today that when it comes to leadership, when it comes to being a leader, regardless of the situation you find yourself in, that God's heart is always for restoration. And it's hard and it's difficult, and it might take more than just you. You might need to hire some carpenters and builders or counselors for things to be restored. But I promise you they can be, because all through scripture, we see the fact that our God delights in restoring. Verse 14, while they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest, and fun fact, this priest was the father of the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah wrote the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations in scripture. Hilkiah is his dad. He found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. You see the previous kings literally lost the Bible in the temple. That should make us feel a lot better when we forget to bring our Bible to church, okay? <laughs> it was in the temple all along. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Imagine that. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. Shaphan took the scroll to the king and reported, your officials are doing everything they were assigned to do. The money that was collected at the temple of the Lord has been turned over to the supervisors and workmen. Shaphan has also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. And when the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Isaiah, the king's personal advisor. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me. And for all the remnant of Israel and Judah, inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything this scroll says we must do. True leadership isn't about outcome, it's about obedience. So how can I lead in a way that's obedient to God? I have to seek God. The number two is this, I have to surrender to the will of God. I have to surrender to the will of God. This passage, man, this is one of the most challenging things I have ever read because upon hearing the word of God, specifically the laws of God, not even like the gospel or something exciting, like hearing the laws of God, how the Israelites were supposed to be living, Josiah immediately responded. It must have been like this light clicking on in his heart that caused his outward anguish over his country. Upon hearing what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. I don't know if I've ever been moved so much by scripture that I would be willing to tear my clothes in despair. Not only that, but King Josiah does something in this patches that I feel very few leaders are ever willing to do. In fact, one of the last things leaders tend to show is weakness. And most times when speaking of a good leader, like none of us are like, oh yeah, they're so weak, it's awesome. 
Nobody talks about that for a good leader. They call them fearless, right? We wanna follow that fearless leader into battle. But like most things that this world promotes, God typically flips it on its head. When leading in a way that's obedient to God, the weakness is exactly what we should be showing. And fear can be a very good thing. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes that God's grace is all we need, that his power works best in our weakness. I think part of the reason Josiah tore his clothes in despair was because he realized how absolutely incapable the situation had become. He realized how weak he was. But thankfully for him, God's power, it works best in our weakness. When we step out of the way and we allow God to show us the path that we're actually supposed to be on. Josiah's case specifically, they would have probably read the book of Deuteronomy. And in chapter 17, verses 18, 19, it says, when he sits on the throne as king, talking about whoever's gonna be king, this was the rules. When he sits on the throne, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear. Everybody say fear. Fear, fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. So it turns out, but to Josiah's credit, like he was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing to his knowledge. He was seeking the Lord, but he didn't actually know the rest of the law that God has given to his people. It was lost in the temple by previous generations of kings. And I love, I love that as soon as he hears the words, his heart is immediately affected and it responds to scripture something that I continually, I'm praying for more and more that I would be cut by the truth in scripture. And then what does Josiah do? He makes excuses. Well, I didn't know that that was in the book of scripture. I like, how am I supposed to know we're supposed to be doing this? God can't count that against us, right? Does he blame? I would. Like, how could the priests lose the scripture in the temple? They're in the temple all the time. Where was it hiding? Under the bed? No, <laughs> No, he immediately responds in humility and surrenders to the truth found in God's word. He understands how far off they were actually living and knew that things needed to change. He surrendered to God's will. Christians, this doesn't excuse us either. I know that when we become Christians, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. They're not counted against us anymore, but there are still places in our lives that need to change, right? Well, we're never done getting better and better, meaning we continually have to be looking at scripture to know what's in it, to know if we're actually living up to what God expects of us. And he expects so much that we should have the devotion to the word that we see in Josiah's life. Not only that, but we should be surrendering to what we find in there. We don't get to make the excuses. We don't get to say, I didn't know that that was in there. We have, like, we have the copies of scripture. If you don't, stop by guest services. We would love to give you one free of charge. And I don't know Josiah personally, but I feel like he was pretty scared at this point in this story, right? We, we said that word fear together. He was learning the book of Deuteronomy, possibly even the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all of these books he would have been learning about. And he was hearing the covenant and the blessings and the laws that God had laid out for the Israelites, this, this plan that he had for him. But they also were learning about the punishment that was gonna be bestowed when they chose to disobey God, the, the righteous judgment that he had. 
And I personally think that the occasional fear is exactly what we need in leadership because fear can do one of two things. It can either spur us on or it can stop us in our tracks. And sometimes we need both. As leaders, the reason we should fear the Lord is this. It's Proverbs 9, chapter 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Fear, whether it's spurring us towards God or stopping us in God, it forces us to turn to God. It roots us in his wisdom and knowledge, and the knowledge of that results in good judgment. And you know what Josiah did after surrendering to God's will, after understanding the judgment that they deserved, he immediately sought God. He went right back to the very first thing that we were talking about in the beginning, seek God. He surrendered to the will, so what does he do? Hey, go seek God on my behalf. I need to know what's happening. He sent his trusted people to speak to a prophet. He, his fear drew him even closer to God, and it pushed his leadership in the right direction to seek God even more. And verse 22 says this, so Hilkiah and the other men in, went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. Side note, I apologize for these. It's really important though. Leadership does not have a gender. Whether that's in the secular world or in the ministry world, the fact that these men went to Huldah, who was the prophet, but she was a prophetess at the time without hesitation, like they didn't even try to find anybody else. They weren't like, well, let's see if Jeremiah is available. Let's go talk to him first. No, they went immediately to Hulda. And we're gonna see how highly Josiah values the words of Hulda. It should show us that God does not use only men in positions of leadership. And again, this goes back to the very beginning of what we talked about. God's not looking at outward appearance. I want you to know that. He's looking at the inner truths in our hearts. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the curses written in the scroll that was read to the king of Judah will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. And I'm very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will be poured out on this place and it will not be clenched. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against the city and its people. You humbled yourself and tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You yourself will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on the city and its people. So they took her message back to the king. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar. And in 2 Kings chapter 23, it's the parallel passage to this scripture. It tells us that he stood beside the pillar. And that's a spoiler alert. Somebody's been saying several S words today. And renewed the covenant of the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws and decrees with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. 
The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing the covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel. He required everyone to worship the Lord their God, and throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. True leadership isn't about outcome. It's about obedience. So how can I lead in a way that's obedient to God? I have to seek God. I have to surrender to the will of God. And number three, the last one is this. I have to stand in the gap. I have to stand in the gap. If you are going to be a leader that is obedient to God, you have to be willing to stand in the gap for the people that God has placed under your care. It blows my mind that King Josiah decided to stand beside the pillar and renew the covenant in front of the entire nation of Judah. Understand this, Josiah was already doing everything that God had commanded of him. Like, and we know this because what Holdus said, God was already pleased with his attitude. Because of his heart of surrender and humility, he wouldn't see the coming judgment on Judah. He was gonna be buried in peace, but still, Josiah does everything he can to stand in the gap of peace that he knew that he was going to receive and the judgment the people all deserved. We have this incredible leadership here at Element. And and one of the things that means so much to me is that my leader, Pastor Jeff, he does this regularly. He prays for each of the people on staff here, for our families, for our our moral integrity, for for our ministries. He stands in the gap on my behalf just like King Josiah did, just like all of us as leaders should be doing. And remember this, your responsibility, it isn't for the future events that are going to transpire. Like Pastor Jeff is not responsible for the outcomes of my life, but regardless, he's going to stand in the gap for me. And Josiah wasn't responsible for the captivity that Judah would face. And Josiah knew it. He knew what the future held for the people of Judah. He knew the outcome, the judgment God promised to bring, but he didn't make precautions to the people. He made promises to them. He he didn't shout or shame them. He stood in the gap for them, upholding the covenant of the God for them. It was his commitment that allowed the people of Judah, the people he was leading, to not turn away from the Lord the rest of his lifetime. No matter what, Josiah was going to keep on leading his people as best as he possibly could, and he still doesn't take the responsibility. Okay, this is important. He's not shouldering the burden that the the people that were under him had dropped. He's not shirking off what needed to be done. Like the kingdom of Judah needed mass repentance and they needed to renew the covenant. And Josiah was going to lead the way, standing in the gap that was just too wide for the people. And the cool thing is there's this another king and he does this, only he shows up 600 years later, born in a manger in Bethlehem, someone who would be a king standing in the gap for us for eternity. Jesus did what Josiah couldn't, what Jeff can't, and he did it for everyone for all of time. And man, talk about leadership. Jesus's was the most backwards thinking the world could have ever heard at that time. He was teaching his followers that if you wanna be first, you're gonna be last. If you wanna be the greatest, you need to serve the least. And then went and finished his earthly leadership by dying on a cross for all of us. And get this, the outcome of his leadership to everyone around at the time, it would have been seen as a disaster. But to Jesus, his obedience was everything. 
because God needed a leader who would stand in the gap for his people, a perfect one. Because no matter how successful we are, no matter how hard we try, we will never measure up. I will never be able to bridge the gap completely. But that doesn't mean we stop trying. And so I I stand up here in front of all of you, the ones that God has so graciously allowed me to lead, prepared to do the same thing that Josiah did so many years ago, prepared to do what Jesus commands of us. And that is to do everything in my power to bridge the gap. So if you would please, every eye closed, every head bowed. Today, I just wanna give you the opportunity. I would be a bad leader if I didn't. That if God is tugging on your heart, if you know he's there, if you feel, if you feel his presence pressing in close, I wanna give you the chance to open up to him today can say this prayer with me out loud in your heart, in your mind. There's nothing special about this prayer. It's you talking to God, a God that so desperately desires to bring you across that gap. Heavenly Father, Lord, no matter how we try, no matter how hard we try, we're never gonna measure up. We all fall short, we all make mistakes, but God, you so graciously are prepared to forgive. Lord, it's why you sent your son to die on the cross for us today, Lord. We believe in your son, Jesus, that he came down from heaven, that he died the death that we all deserve to take the penalty of our sins, and that he rose again three days later victorious over the grave. Lord, today, forgive us of our sins. Wash us clean. Lord, help us be the leaders that you desire us to be. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Today, if there's anyone here who just prayed that prayer to accept Jesus into your life. Would you do something very bold as a leader? Would you raise your hand so we can celebrate with you the new life that just occurred? Is there anyone here? We got one right here in the back. Congratulations. <laughs> True leadership isn't about outcome whether it was 100 people that responded or one. It's a success. Because no matter what, I promise I'm going to stand up here in everything in my power, I will be the example. Seeking God, surrendering to God's will, standing in the gap. If you are here and you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus into your life, we, we just wanna celebrate with you and then also help you in your new path, if you would do us a favor and just on your connection card, if you'd mark that saying, I accepted Jesus as my savior, and then you can drop it off at the giving boxes or give it to somebody in the living room or at the next steps wall. We just want to celebrate with you and then give you some tools. Pastor Jeff has written an incredible devotional for new believers, helps you taking your first new steps in your Christian life. And we'd love to help you get plugged in some more believers to help you in your walk. And then also, 
If you are new here, we would love to meet you in the living room. We don't want to take a bunch of your time, but would love to meet you, give you that free gift, and then answer any questions you have about the church. And if you're in need of any prayer today, well, I don't know if anything like I said made you feel like you need to be prayed. You can pray for me if you think I need it. Um, we have an incredible prayer team here at the church, and they meet behind the sound booth at that purple tent in the back of the auditorium. If there's anything on your heart or your mind that you would like to have prayed over, they would love to meet with you afterwards. Let me pray for you guys, and then you are dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, thank you so much for the response to your gospel, to the good news that you have given us. Lord, we know you're celebrating up there in heaven, and we're celebrating down here as well. Lord, help us as we be leaders in our lives. I don't know where that is for everyone, but whether that's at work or in our families, whether that's here in the church, outside of it. Lord, I just pray that our leadership would be pleasing to you, that our leadership would be obedient to you, that we remember that every day we need to be seeking you, that we need to be surrendering to you, and above all, that we need to be standing in the gap for the people in our lives. Lord, we love you. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys.